Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. Hallelujah. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And thank you all for coming tonight. I know it's hot outside, and I know you've already had church once today. And uh, I appreciate so much you being here, and I thank Pastor and Michelle to uh, allow me and afford me the opportunity to minister things to you. And uh, that's why we're here, and I hope some of these things will uh, be a blessing to you. Please be seated. Please be seated. How many of you all are here tonight? I just wanted to mention some of the material. You may already have it back there, Jeannie's uh, book, The Study of Revelation. Uh, there's a lot being taught today about Revelation, a lot being taught about the rapture, the end times. Some of it is not biblical. It's conjecture. It's supposition. It's whatever. And that's why I wrote this book, Seasons, Signs, and Spiritual Things. And it might look like I'm kind of taking a poke at all of the signs and wonders that are you know, out there, but I guess I was, but Everything doesn't have to be uh, parallel. I had a uh, minister tell me and sent me his book that he had decided and confirmed in the scriptures that America is Babylon and that he got that from the fact that America meets all 50 points of uh, Babylon. Well, he plainly states that he's giving you a parallel. You know, a few years ago somebody made uh, a teaching on Ahab and Jezebel. And they said that the New Testament or the new, the, uh, uh, the present day Ahab and Jezebel was Bill and Hillary Clinton because they met all the requirements. Well, uh, that again is a parallel. It's supposition. It's conjecture. I mean, you could, you could fit that to a lot of people if you wanted to. And you could fit a lot of the things that are going on and make a parallel out of it. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's Bible. And anyway, this guy was telling me that uh, America's Babylon, and others have said America's not in the Scriptures. Well, there's nowhere in the Bible where you'll see America or the United States, um, you know, and uh, some say that there's a, a, God has a covenant with America. Well, according to the Scriptures, God only has a covenant with one nation, and that's Israel. He cut the covenant with Israel. Now, America chose God, and our founding fathers built this nation on godly principles and blah, blah, blah. But God didn't, (laughs) I hate to say this, but God is not obliged. He is not committed uh, in covenant uh, with anybody but Israel. So uh, my first part of tonight's uh, Teaching is going to be Second uh, Timothy two fifteen. The Bible says to study, Amen. to show yourself approved unto God, rightly dividing the word of truth, to rightly judge, to rightly evaluate, to rightly dissect or uh, diagram a sentence. Uh, you have to take everything uh, that is out there and measure it against the word of God. Now, when you were praying over the offering, I was thinking about. I had made a statement on Arkansas Alive that the next great event on God's calendar is the rapture of the church. Well, I got a lady from uh, a lady from a letter, a letter from a lady, <laughs> and she sent me her pastor's book on the prosperity phenomenon, and he he says there are two events prior to the rapture. One is the great end time wealth transfer, which is not in that language in the scriptures. There's the wealth of the sinner laid up for the just, but the end time wealth transfer where all the wealth of the wicked is going to come to the righteous. Hey, that sounds great, doesn't it? But I was reading last night and today, (laughs) and you can find a lot of this stuff on the, uh, the internet. The end time wealth transfer takes place every time one generation passes away 
and leaves all of their wealth to the next generation. My father died and left me, me and my sister uh, a designated portion of what he did. We will do the same thing with our child, with our son, and with our grandchildren and so forth. And then I was reading to, you know, the wealth transfer. I always want to know how's all that money going to get to the church and where's it going to come from? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, this brother says, well, that God is going to send his angels to go get it from the rich and bring it to us. Uh, again, I, okay, how are they going to do it? How are they going to get it? You know, are they going to steal it at night? Uh, are they going to, you know, go into their bank accounts? And See, I, I ask these questions. And then the second thing that has to happen, he says, is the end time world revival. And the wealth has to be transferred so the church can go out and win the world. But my brothers and sisters, the, the facts and figures are in the church today, only 2.5% of Christians tithe. So, you know, how, how is God going to trust us, the church with all that wealth? And why would we spend it on revival when we're not, I mean, on, uh, on uh, missions and preaching, when we're not spending it on that now? What's going to change? In fact, and let me just uh, tickle you a little bit more or offend you or whatever. <laughs> when I even see stuff on the television, how many of you know um, Colonial Pen Insurance 995? You ever seen that on commercial? Colonial Pen Insurance, life insurance. Nine ninety-five. If you're between fifty and eighty-five, you can buy Colonial Pen Life Insurance for nine ninety-five. No questions, no medical exam, no nothing. And it says, price, price, price. And they have different people. So, well, I'm sixty-five and retired. What's my price? Nine ninety-five. Uh, well, I had a previous illness. Uh, what's my price? Nine ninety-five. Have you ever bothered to look that up? I have. $9.95, $9.95 a month, purchase for you, and, and Colonial Pen makes this distinction. It purchases for you one unit of life insurance. Now, if you're going to buy this for final expenses, funerals, uh, uh, life uh, insurance for your family, whatever, $9.95 a month, sounds good, no medical questions. You just have to be fifty and between fifty and eighty-five, nine ninety-five um, per unit. Or oh, what is a unit? One thousand dollars. So for nine ninety-five, you get one thousand dollars worth of life insurance. That's it. Now, if you want more than one thousand dollars, you have to multiply it times nine ninety-five. And it plainly says that in its advertisement. If you're 68 years old and you want uh, um, $15,000, $25,000 worth of insurance, you, it's going to cost you $119.95 a month. And it plainly says in fine print, benefits may be reduced the first two years. That's because they didn't ask you any medical questions. They don't know anything about you. So they're not going to pay you out a lot of money the first two years. You might buy it next week and die the next week. So I don't know about you, but Joe Namath has paid a million dollars a year uh, to do these ads. Tom Selleck, same thing. I mean, you know, when it really gets down to it, it's all really about money. And you have to follow the money. And you have to know for yourself. Now, the Bible says, Jesus said in the last days, don't be deceived. And you ought to study to show yourself approved unto God, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, I know AIG and um, colonial pen, that's not the word of God. That's not the word of truth. But you need to start somewhere. 
Ask people questions. I recently had to replace uh, air conditioning units at my home. They're 25 years old. They've performed greatly, but they're about to die. And so we, kn we knew we were going to um, have to replace them. So I placed an order. Well, two weeks ago, they were supposed to deliver them. Um, they delivered the wrong units. It wasn't what we ordered. Okay, we'll take them back. And we'll order the original units that you want, but they're in Jackson, Mississippi. It's going to take a while to get here. And we'll install them Saturday, this past Saturday, yesterday. So they showed up there, these two units. And one of them was damaged in the back of the truck. So I said, Mr. Caldwell, would you, you like this damaged unit, or do you want us to take it back and order another one? I said, well, let me ask you a question. If these were your, your units... Would you want a damaged unit? In? He said, we can put them in. We can install them. We're the installer team. We can put them in or we can order. I said, well, what would you do if it was your unit? And they want 50% down, so I already paid for half of it. Would you want these installed? He said, no, sir. I said, well, what makes you think that I would want these installed? Amen. I don't know. He said, all I do is install them. I don't talk. And I know the company, and it's a great company, and you know, the right hand don't know what the left hand's doing. So these are just little things that I get curious about. I ask questions. And the wealth transfer and the great revival, there's only one place in the scriptures where there's an innumerable company of people standing before the throne of God, and it says they are without number. And that's in Revelation. It's after the tribulation, because the, the, the uh, how would I say it there? The question is asked when they see all these people worshiping God. They say, who are these people? And where did they come from? Yeah. And the angel says, these are the tribulation saints. These are the saints that were saved out of the tribulation through the ministry of the 144,000 Jewish evangelists. But what I've always looked for is this huge end-time wealth transfer that this money is going to come from somewhere. How's it going to come? God's not a counterfeiter. I mean, he's going, to, he's going to do this lawfully and legally. And then the end-time world transfer and the worldwide revival, when's that going to happen? Where is that going to take place? How are these people going to come? You can't even get Christians to come to church on Sunday morning. How are you going to get them to go out and win the lost? You know, Jeannie was raised Baptist, and she said, what was it, every Monday night or Wednesday night or once a week or something like that, they had visitation. My grandparents raised Baptists. They went to, they went to Emmanuel Baptist Church right here in Little Rock for 65 years. 65 years. They lived in their 90s and 100s. Long life. But every Sunday afternoon after church, they'd go home. Grandma would fry chicken, eat lunch. They'd take a nap, put on their hat, their coat and tie, and go knocking on doors. And they'd go on visitation. <laughs> we used to do that in our church. And I remember one time we went over. We just took the neighborhood around us, people that lived. And we went and knocked on the door, asked people questions. I was amazed at how ignorant people are and how unconcerned. Uh, are you all going to heaven? Oh, yes. Do you know Jesus? No. Have you been born again? What's that? You know, I want to go to heaven. I don't want to go to hell. Well, you're going to have to know Jesus. You're going to have to be born again. So, you know, God's doing his part, but we're going to have to do our part. Amen. Uh, let me mention these, get, go on through this, the spirit of giving. And this also has portions of the teaching I did here on ownership, how to thrive in perilous times. Now, I know many of you have heard these teachings, but I'm mentioning them again in case there's somebody that has not heard them. No more limits. There's no limit in God. Uh, God is unlimited, so uh, we can depend on uh, his ability to take care of us. Uh, let me minister to you a couple of more items here because uh, the first part of my message has to do with 
2 Timothy 2 and verse 15. This, I'm going to read, um, these are statements that were made uh, by Pope Francis. Quote, in the first place, it, it is our sister, Mother Earth, who cries out. She weeps and implores us to put an end to our abuses and to her destruction. Because of human irresponsibility, countless species are dying out and their hymns of praise silenced while the ancestral lands of indigenous people are being invaded and devastated on all sides, provoking a cry that rises up to heaven. Because of the climate crisis, the poor disproportionately suffer the impact of drought, flooding, hurricanes, heat waves that are becoming more intense and frequent. Woke Pope Francis. Now, this is Breitbart News. Woke Pope Francis. That's their wording. Uh, goes all in, calls for green economics, green spirituality, green education. Yeah, I assume you all know what that means. <clears throat> and the article uh, in the news uh, points out Mother Earth Mother Earth worship in agreement with the globalist of climate change as the number one crisis facing mankind. Climate change. The number one crisis facing mankind. And I'll read Romans uh, to you in just a minute. Uh, have you ever seen what's going on politically and all of the naysayers and the woke culture and whatever, have you ever had the thought, well, Lord, if they don't want you and they don't want the word and they don't want this earth you created, just let them go to hell. <laughs> That's not the right response, okay? That's not the spirit of God. That's like Jesus told Peter and John, they wanted to call fire down from heaven. He said, whoa, boys, you don't know what spirit you're of. I came to save men's souls. So, onward Christian soldiers, we continue to fight the good fight of faith. We continue to preach. We continue to stand. We continue to love. We continue to give. So you can't just say, nah, y'all have it your way. Go ahead and do what you want to do. Well, here is a, a report from CNN, and they have on their news uh, the founder of the Weather Channel. John Coleman, he's the founder um, of the Weather Channel. Anybody ever watched the Weather Channel? And he said, <laughs> he says, 97% of the climatologists are manipulating the figures that they are giving. The U.S., and here's why, the U.S. government puts $2.5 billion a year, that's your tax dollars, directly into climate research. It gives this money only to scientists. Now, this is the founder of the Weather Channel speaking. They give it only to scientists that produce sympathetic results that support global warming. They do not have any choice. If they are going to take the money, they have to support the position of global warming and climate change. And now, I'm still talking about um, rightly dividing the word of truth. If you believe a, a deception, you open yourself to being deceived over and over and over. The Bible talks about men deceived and being deceived. It's a continuation. Once you get deceived... It, you don't have to raise your hand, but have you ever been deceived in anything or deceived by anybody? When you found out that you'd been deceived, did it bother you? <clears throat> did you get angry? Did you get offended? Well, the more you are deceived into believing the wrong thing, the more you are susceptible to being deceived. So it's very important that you have knowledge uh, of the truth. Okay. I think that's all of the commentary we need tonight. I think that's all.
uh, I'm going to share. So, turn in your Bibles now to Proverbs chapter 18, and we'll get to something more, how would I say, uh, heavy. <laughs> Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Everybody say this out loud. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. I was called this morning by a friend of ours in our church, and they said, would you please come to the hospital and pray for my daughter? She's uh, in bad shape. Her kidneys are shutting down, et cetera. And, of course, I, and, and I left church, and I went up there, and I prayed for her. And She's got a mask on, and she's breathing heavy. And um, I said, let me ask you a question first before I pray for you. You want to live or you want to die? Simple question, kind of in your face. But the Apostle Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You, you should never um, grieve over a born-again Christian that's chosen to go to heaven. If you do, it, and I don't mean to insult anybody, but it's really selfish. You're not crying for them. You're crying for yourself. Because you're going to miss them and they're gone. But the Bible says, Paul said, to die is gain. Mm. To live is Christ, but to die is gain. Hallelujah. I, think, I remember when Jeannie's mother died and she and her mother were very close. Her mother come over, would come over every Saturday and spend Saturday with us. And, and they would shop together. And after she died and Jeannie was missing her mom, she went to Dillard's where they'd shop and she was you know, shop around, and all of a sudden it just overwhelmed her, and she, she had to come home. <clears throat> but you saw your mother in a vision, and your mother was standing there with her arm around Jesus. And she had this big grin on her face, <laughs> and the instant cognition was, don't cry for me. I'm right where I want to be. <laughs> now, that, that's, that's hard because I've seen Cases where spouses were praying over one another. One of them was about to go be with the Lord, and, you know, they didn't want him to go. And one time a woman, she, she really left. She died. Her eyes rolled back in her head. I was standing right there in the hospital. Her husband grabbed her and shook her and said, No, come back. And she came back. And she looked at him and said, No, why did you do that? Leave me alone. And she died. And it took him years to overcome that. I told him, I said, you know, she wasn't rejecting you. But <laughs> I remember the guy that used to put up Oral Roberts' tent. And uh, he had died. <laughs> and Brother Roberts had prayed for him. And his wife just wouldn't take that as, as final answer. So she went up there and she grabbed hold of him and commanded him to come back to life and shook him and went through all that. And he came back and he looked at her and he said, what did you do that for? Right. I mean, there's, heaven's a real place. And, and all we've, got, we've all got family and friends there. So to, to die is gain, to live is Christ. But you have something to say about it. Yes. You have a decision to make about your life, how you're going to live. Amen? Look at Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Let's all read it together. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Now, I want to explain that where, where it says, and they that love it. What it means is, they that love the fact that death and life are in the power of the tongue. If you love that, if you love that, the fact that death and life are, are in the power of the tongue. Now, first of all, let's go over to uh, Genesis chapter 2. Genesis 2, verse 15. Now, you know, we all grew up, I guess I'd say all, everybody in the, quote, faith camp, we all grew up um, understanding the power of words. And, uh, Brother Caps and I were good friends, and 
boy, we cut our teeth on this and hunted and fished together. And Charles learned the power of words, fishing and farming. Uh, and he wrote many books about it. A lot of the stuff that's in his books came out of our discussion in the fishing boat or on the deer stand. And we talked about these things. And next thing I knew, they, <laughs> they wound up in a book. <laughs> these were factual accounts of using the power of, of words. And uh, in Genesis chapter 2, uh, excuse me, Genesis chapter, yeah, Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. Uh, it says, <clears throat> And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it. For in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. Now, death was not God's idea. 1 Corinthians 15 says that death came through man, not God. It came through Adam, Adam's transgression. But God plainly told Adam, he said, okay, if you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. The word die is plural. Spiritual and physical death. To simplify this, spiritual death is separation from God. And you'll see this in Genesis 3. Physical death is when your spirit and your soul is separated from your body. Now, Adam lived 930 years, but he could have continued on living if he hadn't have disobeyed God. So he said, the day you do this, you will die spiritually, separation from God, and then physically, your physical body will die. Okay, um, spiritual death, separation from God, is found in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Um, I, won't, I won't go through all of this because this is a conversation of, between uh, the serpent Satan and Adam. But let's go down to uh, verse um, 8. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst, uh, amongst the trees and gardens. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said, Where are you? Now it wasn't that God didn't know where he was, but the sin had separated him from God. Now listen to the rest of it. I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid. Well, where did the fear come from? He was, he was, he was made in the image and likeness of God. He was the only man on the planet. And what, what was he afraid of? He says, I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Now, I looked that word naked up one time, and it really doesn't, the, the full weight of it is not referring to nudity as we think. It's really, the word is referring to being unclothed. Well, what was Adam clothed with? The glory of God. So he lost his covering. He lost his clothing. <laughs> I remember... Uh, when I was in the Navy, I was uh, aboard uh, two different ships, two years at sea. And <clears throat> we didn't always have fresh water because the evaporator pumps could only make so much fresh water out of seawater. And sometimes when we were steaming for a long period of time, we'd run out of fresh water and water was rationed. And um, you could use water to cook and drink and brush your teeth but you couldn't use uh, the water to shave with or bathe. You had to shave with salt water, and you had to bathe with salt water. You don't want to do that. Uh, because uh, when you lather up and you put salt water in there, it, it's, it's like adding baking soda to the <laughs> thing. It just foams. You have natural foam. <laughs> And it is not pleasant. And if you don't bathe, which, you know, we were steaming, we were working, we were whatever. And you go in there to take a shower and you bathe with salt water, you come out, you come out sticky and what? Rashes. Rashes and, 
you'd rather not have bathed at all. But you got 600 guys aboard this ship, and you're all smelling like, you know. <laughs> and then you, how do you wash your clothes? How do you wash your dungarees? You know, there's no laundry mess. Now, ships today are different, but this was an old World War II destroyer retrofitted from World War II to this was the early 60s. And we were down in the Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, the Bay of Pigs, and we were all wartime alert. And, you know, we were trying to do the best we could. And the way you washed your clothes was you would tie your dungarees, your, your uh, trousers, and your shirt, and your hat if you wanted to. You'd tie them all with a line, and you'd throw it over the fan tail far enough why it wouldn't get in the propeller wash, and you drag your clothes clean. And when you finally retrieved them and hung them out to dry, they would stand up by themselves. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was awful. I mean, you, you'd have to put your pants on you know, like this, and, and then you pull them up and you'd walk like this almost. And it was like wearing sandpaper. I don't know what it would feel like to be clothed with fig leaves, but I imagine it was about the same. So we, you know, we were <laughs> kind of a poor example. We were unclothed because our dungarees were in the wash <laughs> or we had them hanging up and we didn't want to wear them. Now, all kinds of things that you learn uh, uh, aboard ship because there's no air conditioning. It, they're just, we call them a tree. It's a rack. With, you, you, you just kind of slide in. It's a piece of canvas stretched over an aluminum thing, and you just slide in there. And, and uh, if you're on the top bunk, I mean, they fold up like this during the day. Uh, and if you're on the top bunk, your bunks, everything gets folded up. And you're sleeping below decks, and there's no air conditioning. You get hot and sweaty. And uh, we had a lot of cockroaches. Aboard, uh, aboard our ship. And so when you're laying there and you think there's a bead of sweat rolling down your, your chest, you don't, you don't dare, uh, you don't know whether it's sweat or a cockroach, so you just leave it alone. And we had a, we had a joke aboard our ship, uh, you get ready to go ashore, you, you hit a port where you have liberty and you get ready to go ashore. Uh, you didn't really have much problem deciding what you were going to wear, you just as we said, you just tell the cockroaches what you want, and they'll slide it out to you. you know? <laughs> it, it, was, it was rough. But, you know, you're 20 years old, you're stupid, and you don't afraid of anything, you don't know what's going on anyway, so you just flow with it. <laughs> but I, I can only imagine what uh, Adam and Eve felt like. They lost their covering. Yeah. They're, they're, they were unclothed. And God, of course, he slew animals, and he clothe them, and they made fig leaves. <laughs> Our brother Copeland one time, he said, have you ever seen a big old fig leaf? He said, how would you like to wear fig leaves uh, for clothing? Well, God slew animals and killed the animals, shed blood, and made them uh, some good clothes. Okay, so they were separated uh, from the glory of God. They were spiritually dead. Spiritual death does not mean cessation of existence. You don't, nobody ever ceases to exist. Everybody continues. You're made an eternal being. God created you in His image and likeness. You're a spirit being. You're a speaking spirit. And you're going to live forever somewhere. You, de, you de determine where you're going to spend eternity. Okay, physical death, if you go over to Genesis 5, 5, it says, in all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. So Adam lived physically in his physical body for 930 years. And you know there's a difference of opinion about in, in Genesis 6, whether God promised Noah 120 years of life, or whether God said, I'm not going to deal with man but for 120 years. There are beliefs on both sides. But... I think what some people forget is when God said that, Noah was already 500 years old at the time. 
okay? So what, however you want to factor that in. But a physical death is the expiration of your physical body. Now, I'd like to add this. There is no expiration date for you stamped on the bottom of your foot. Amen. You know, you go get a carton of milk and you look to see the expiration date. There's no expiration date on you. Uh, and, and people have said, well, you know, uh, everybody has an appointed time to die. No, that's not what the Scripture says. The Scripture says it's appointed unto man once to die. In Ecclesiastes, it says there's a time to die, but there's no place where it says there's an appointed time to die. There's no, God doesn't have, oh, tomorrow is August the 8th, and Brother Leonard, I'm sorry, but it's your day. <laughs> that, that's not in there. Um, Psalm 91 says you can live as long as you're satisfied. Amen. I mean, you can choose. You can live 70, 80, 100 years, whatever you want. But it's, uh, it's up to you as to how long uh, you, you want to live. Brother Hagin said, if you hear that I have died, you'll know I got satisfied. Well, we were in Canada doing a meeting when Brother Hagin died. And Pat, his daughter, you know who she is. She called us and said, just want you all to know that Daddy went to be with the Lord today. And he liked to cook, and I liked to cook, and he, I learned how to walk in love by listening to him the way he cooked for his wife. And so he reached over and patted Aretha on the hand and told her he loved her and just went bloop and left. He got satisfied. You can live as long as you're satisfied, and then you're out of here. So there is a physical death that happens. But it's really up to you. You know, the Bible says that Satan had the power of death. Well, he doesn't have the power of death over you anymore. Jesus redeemed that. Jesus, remember in Revelation, he said, I have the keys of death, hell, and the grave. <laughs> so you can just look death in the face and spit in its eye and say, I'm not ready. I'm not going. Amen. I'm not accepting your invitation. Death and life are in the power of your tongue. Amen. You decide. And hey, I realize, I know in this culture today, in the atmospheric conditions, spiritual, physical, political, whatever, that we're living in today, whew, man, it's tough to just keep on going sometimes. It's tough to just say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep on going. So you've got to make your life stand for something. You, you can't, I mean, you might get to a place in your life where you can sit at home on the porch and you don't know anybody, anything, you have nothing, no demand on you. You've lived out your life, raised all your kids. Well, it might be a time where you get comfortable and say, you know, I might as well just go on. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. Paul said, I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. So you can't leave till you finish your course. Brother Summerall came out of a coma that he had contacted spinal meningitis on a trip overseas. And his sons called me and said, Dad came out of his coma and looked at us boys and said, Boys, if it's all right with you, I have finished my course and I'm going home to be with the Lord. And they said, Dad, just do whatever you want. He's gone. So you can choose, but you don't have to die as a result of circumstances or grief or, or, or pity or uh, sickness, disease, whatever. My wife has proven that over and over through situations that she has faced. And she just refused to give in to the diagnosis or whatever uh, was told her. It had been real easy for her to say, you know, I think I'll just go on. No, you're not. Not while I'm still watching over you. <laughs> okay. Let's move on. Let's go to Genesis 1.26 and you've all read this. God said he made man in his own image. Male and female created he them. Uh, and I make a distinction here going back to rightly dividing the word of truth. God did not... Uh, 
When he created Adam in his image and likeness, he created him a spirit being. He, Adam was not God. Now, there's a major cult that talks about Adam as Adam God. Adam was not incarnate. Jesus is the only incarnate man in the Bible. Adam was created in the image and likeness of God, a speaking spirit, so he could contact God, he could worship God, and he could fellowship with God. So we are created in the image and likeness of God. We are speaking spirits, but we're not God. I mean, you know, I look like and sound like, and the older I get, it's scary. I look like, sound like my father. Uh, a lot of things about my father I loved and admired, but some things about him I did not. And, you know, I find myself, oh, Lord, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to do that. I love my daddy. I honored him and so forth. I am not my father. I'm in his image. You see pictures of us together when, when he was young, and we looked a lot like us. Only 20 years difference in our ages and, you know, a lot of attributes and things about my father, but I'm not him. Adam was made in the image and likeness of God, but he was not God. Amen. So keep all these things straight, and, they, and they, they work better. You have the authority to speak words of life and death. Death and life are in the power of your tongue. And if you start out your life saying the wrong thing, and you wind up in your life saying, everybody in your family teaches you uh, wrongly, and tells you that you've got to die. Well, you know, uh, granddaddy, he lived to this age, and you probably die then too. Or uh, how, how is arthritis runs in our family? Well, run him out. He don't have to stay in there. Heart attacks run in our family. Well, run him out. Don't yield to that. Don't, don't let somebody tell you over and over that you're stupid and not worth anything, never amount to hill of beans. Oh, you're just like your daddy. You're going to be in prison the rest of your life. No, don't listen to that. That's not your future. That's, 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 you'll have what you say, Amen. not what somebody else right. says. Amen. Amen. I say, Lord, I say. This is what I say, Lord. And it's because death and life are in the power of your tongue. And when you hear people talk like that, or you, you know, I had a lady in church one time as I was teaching something similar to this. She wrote me a letter and she said, Pastor Caldwell, she said, if I had only known this several years before, uh, her husband had been sick with something and, and died. And she said, if I had only known this, my husband wouldn't have had to die. She said, but I didn't know. We just accepted it. Well, this is your time. This is... You know, this disease runs in our family or, and, and you accept it. And before you know it, you're talking it. In, in my family, in the Caldwell family, we were great nappers. You know what that means? A nap every afternoon, usually after lunch. I read medically where the reason for that is, is because after you've eaten, your blood slows down to digest all the food, and you get sluggish and, and, and so forth, and you want to take a nap. Well, my family, I'm serious. Now, they were serious about naps. I mean, we'd go to Grandma's house. When you finish, finish uh, lunch, Sunday uh, dinner, every, everybody finds a bedroom. Everybody <laughs> finds a bed, and then they go to sleep. sleep on the sleeping porch, on the couch, or, or somewhere you're going to go take a nap. Uh, I, I think our Latino friends <clears throat> have it right. After you eat, you take siesta. <laughs> and I read just the other day where it said, if you want a, li a, a long life, take a nap. I said, hallelujah, I'm already there. <laughs> I got that down, man. Oh, I know in Proverbs it says, He that foldeth his hands and sleeps a lot will <clears throat> go into poverty. No, no, no. I, I'm not lazy. No. I just, I'm just, and I, I've got friends, and they're just going constantly, constantly, constantly. I say, how are you doing? Oh, man, I'm just running 100 miles an hour. I say, why don't you slow down? Oh, I can't slow down. Why don't you rest? I can't rest. 
don't you take it easy? They sleep about four nights, four hours a night. They can't keep that up. Their body can't keep that up. So there are other things that you can do along with your saying. I say I'm going to live a long time. I say I'm healthy. I say I'm not going to get old and decrepit. Uh, anytime something tries to come on me, uh, whatever it is, I just slap it and say, no, that's not mine. I'm not going to take that. Amen. My sister was telling me the other day, she said, Bubba, and she's two years younger than me. She said, Bubba, you have any problem with arthritis? I said, no, I don't have any problem with arthritis. She said, well, I do, and I've had to have surgery on my thumb and all this kind of stuff and her knees and whatever. I don't argue with her, but I just said, no, I ain't, I'm, not in, I'm not inheriting that. I'm not going to take that. Amen? Amen. Okay. I don't know if I'm uh, helping you, but I'm helping me. Physical life, spiritual life. What's the difference? Spiritual life is Genesis 1, 26 to 27. You're a speaking spirit. You're made in the image and likeness of God. Physical life is the physical body. It's the expression of life. Your physical body is the expression of life. Remember that. You're, you're to glorify God in your body. You're to glorify God in everything that you do. I remember, I remember hearing Leroy Thompson say one time, he and his boys were out on the lake fishing in a little fishing boat, and he said this big, huge boat came by them, and the, the waves just almost sunk their little fishing boat. And, of course, you know Brother Leroy. He said, boys, Said, we're going to town, we're going to get a bigger boat. He said, this little boat of ours don't glorify God. <laughs> we're not glorifying God in this little boat. <laughs> so you're to glorify God, and your physical life glorifies God. It's the, the physical expression of life. It's the zoe of God. And then in John 10, in verse 10, Jesus said, I have come that you might have life, zoe, and that you might have it abundantly. Um, some people have problems with abundant life. Everybody's not going to be a millionaire. Everybody's not going to drive a Cadillac. Everybody's not going to be able to dress like Brother Leonard. You know, it, it, we're all different. But he wants you to have abundant life. Um, more than enough. He wants you to have more than enough. No more limits. Amen. I've, read, I've read testimonies of uh, medical doctors. This one lady that I saw interviewed, she was 90-something years old. She was still a practicing surgeon, hand just as steady as it could be. And they asked her, said, when are you going to retire? She said, why? <laughs> why would I want to retire? I'm helping people, and I love what I do. So you just keep on doing what you're good at. If you're a grandma, if you're a mama, if you're a husband, a wife, a friend, just keep on being what you are and live as long as you're satisfied. Amen. Now, we all face situations. And let me tell you something, and I've faced them, Jeannie and I've faced them. <clears throat> as you age, and if you're not careful, when you go to sleep at night and you lay your head on the pillow, and you drift off to sleep, if you don't know what to be aware of, Satan will try to invade your mind and your dreams and try to get you to fear growing old. He will try to get you to be afraid, who's going to take care of me? How am I going to live? What am I going to do when I can't take care of myself? And before you know it, you start thinking those thoughts and you get to worrying and you get to fearing. Mm. That's right. Satan's trying to get you to speak death. He's, I, I'm not talking about not being prepared. You should, you should prepare for, for your <laughs> senior years. You should prepare. But those of us that are younger, we should be stepping up to the plate and offer to help those that are senior citizens. Yeah. Let me help you. Let me do this for you. Let me do. And, and the worst thing you can do is, is resist that. Say, no, 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 I don't need any help. Let them help you. That's right. I said for years, 
if you're over 50, you don't need to be on a ladder. Don't get on a ladder. I've had uh, church members that fell off ladders, broke yeah. their foot. Uh, some of you may remember Fred Black, a member of our yeah. church, and Fred owned Advantage Service Company. And he fell off a ladder, broke his foot, right. had to go into the hospital, and they had to operate on it and put a pin in it. And I got up there just before they carried him off to uh, the operating room, and Fred was always so funny. And they had him on that gurney, and they had his foot up like this. <clears throat> As they were going around the, the, the corner, Fred said, oh, uh, wait a minute. He said, uh, before you get me into uh, surgeon anesthesia and put me out, he said, it's the right foot. <laughs> he wanted to make sure they didn't operate on the wrong foot. And I said, you know, stay off a ladder. You're over 50 years old. You don't need to be up there. Until one day I found myself up on the ladder. And Jeannie said, honey, you said if you're over 50, you need to stay off the ladder. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> but you have to watch yourself. When you're used to doing things for yourself, and, uh, you're, you're wanting to uh, get things done. Um, <clears throat> of course, this generation doesn't have the work ethic that my generation had. And they don't understand that. And, and, it, and it causes a problem sometimes with, with me because I, I need to let somebody else do it. But I'm wanting to do it myself. Yes, uh, some of that can get into pride because you don't think anybody else can do it as well as you can. So you want to uh, get out there. And, and, of course, the way you're raised has something to do with it. My daddy was real strong on work ethic. <laughs> if you don't work, you don't eat. When he told me it was time for me to go, I was 18. I said, what do you mean go? He said, you, you go to college, you go in the military, you go to work. He said, now if you want to work, you can stay in this house, pay me $40 a month room and board. This was uh, late 50s, early 60s, uh, but uh, you're going to do one of the three. And if you work here, you're going to pay me room and board. I said, in my own house? He said, it's not your house. I got to pay $40 a month to live in my own bedroom. It's not your bedroom. <laughs> and he said, that's not your food in the refrigerator either. <laughs> and he said, if you're going to live somewhere else or go to college or whatever, don't bring your dirty clothes home for your mother to wash. You wash them yourself. <laughs> Kept you didn't know my dad was that, that hard. But, it, but he, he did it in love, as much love as he could muster, you know. But he was letting me know. And, and when I got in the Navy, uh, our ship pulled into port one time in, in Norfolk, Virginia, and I called him on the phone. I said, Daddy, can you send me $50? He said, what for? I said, I just need $50. He said, don't they pay you? I said, yes, sir, they do. He said, then you need to learn to live on what you make. Anything else you need? I said, no, sir, it's been nice talking with you. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, today, today that'd be child abuse or insensitive or whatever. But it, it stood me in good stead because I realized my father is not my source anymore. And, of course, when I got saved, I realized God was my source and his word is my source. So the abundant life, talking about life and death, death and life, kind of a morbid, morbid subject. But now let's, let's close it up here with uh, the power of the tongue. James chapter 3. James chapter 3. And let's look at James chapter 3 and let's look at verse 1. James chapter 3 verse 1. Brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word... The same as a perfect man and able to bridle the whole body. Now, to offend in word is to say the opposite of what God said. Remember the, the spies that went into the promised land and, and ten came back with an evil report. Only Joshua and Caleb came back with a good report. Why did God call the, the negative spies report evil? Because it was contrary to God's word. He told them it was their land and they could take it. They said, we can't take it because of the, uh, the giants in the land, blah, blah, blah. 
So he called that an evil report. Why? It offended the Word of God. It was contrary to the Word of God. So here it says, uh, if you offend not in word, the same as a perfect man able to bridle the whole body. And then he explains it. We put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. If you've ever ridden a horse, you know that's, that's true. You put that bit in there, you pull, and the horse goes the direction of the pressure that's on its tongue. Behold also ships, and I could really identify with this, which though they be so great are driven fierce winds, yet they are turned about with a very small helm wheresoever the governor listeth. Uh, one of my general quarters station was on the helm steering the ship and you know the captain would give the, the course change uh, and he would call the engine room and tell them full speed, half feet, speed, whatever and then he'd tell the helmsman which was me if I was on duty that day or that time and he'd tell me to you know uh, turn right 10 degrees, ruddered, and I would turn the wheel 10 degrees and the ship would turn. Now, the after steering is where the rudder was connected to these cables. And so I'd turn that wheel and all the way to the after steering, that, that rudder would turn. And it would turn. Now, that ship, that, that destroyer was three blocks long. And it would turn that ship. And uh, he, he's saying that your words are like that. They can turn your whole life. They can turn your whole body. Talk to your body. Um, and then let's, let's go over to Mark eleven twenty three. 23, a very powerful scripture that Brother Hagin developed in his life. And going back to the ship, one, one time we were, actually in Guantanamo Bay, we were at war terminal in our gun mounts shelling the islands. And it was, we had to go to sea um, to ride out a hurricane. They didn't have a hurricane pier for us to tie up to, so they made us go out and ride out the hurricane. Now, that is an experience, to ride out the hurricane. Well, everybody practically got sick. And uh, I was feeling a little woozy, so I saw somebody's helmet laying over there, so I just grabbed the helmet and upchucked in it and set it back. About that time, the captain came out of his cabin on the bridge. It was his helmet. And he looked at that. <laughs> and he said, and this captain, he was the nephew of Admiral Nimitz of World War II. And he said, who did this? And I said, I did, sir. He looked at me and said, Caldwell, next time use your own helmet. <laughs> well, that never occurred to me. I didn't know who whose that was, but I didn't ever do that again. <clears throat> so Mark eleven twenty three and 24. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, not doubt in his heart. Notice you can have doubt in your head, but not in your heart. But shall believe those things which he saith. You have to believe what you say. And, of course, you understand it's based on the Word of God, will come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. And Brother Hagin used to always say, he only says believe once and say three times. So the saying is, is what delivers your faith to impact your situation. You have to say it. I'm not giving place to this. I'm not going there. I'm not going broke. I'm not going... You know, you're not, you're not going to accept uh, what it is. But you have to say that. You don't have to pray, oh, God, is this your will? You know what the will of God is before you pray. That's right. You don't have to end every prayer if it be thy will. Find out what the will of God is first and then say what the will of God is. So <clears throat> if you uh, use the power of the tongue... You can have what you say. Brother Caps used to say all the time, it's in his books, he'd say, God told him, said, son, I have told my people they can have what they say, but my people are saying what they have. I have a headache, I have a cold, I have this, I have that. 
we're saying what we have instead of having what we say. But you have to be highly developed in this. You have to train yourself. Uh, go back to Proverbs, Proverbs 13, 2, and I've just got a couple of scriptures and then we're done. Proverbs 13, 2. I think I probably should have not done so much commentary and stuck with the word here. Proverbs 13, 2 and 3. A man shall eat good by the fruit of his mouth, your mouth, but the soul of the transgressors shall eat violence. He that keepeth his mouth keepeth his life. If you keep your mouth, you'll keep your life. Talk uh, health and healing to yourself. Uh, but he that openeth his wide his lips shall have destruction. <laughs> In other words, keep your mouth shut and just speak what you know the Word of God uh, uh, says and don't run off at the mouth. I've done that and I know you have too. And uh, you, you think, why did I do that? Because if we're not focused on what we're doing, where we're going, what we're after, we'll get off. If you don't stay focused on the Word, you'll get off into genealogies, you'll get off into foolishness. And uh, I can always tell in myself and other speakers that I know, if I know them well enough, you know, they, they drift off into an area that's totally non-related to what they're talking about. And I'm thinking, you know, <laughs> they must have um, not gotten the revelation of what they're preaching yet and they're, they're telling uh, stuff that doesn't relate. If you, if you get off in your thinking and in the Word, you'll start saying th things that you don't really believe and you have to correct yourself. Okay. Proverbs 15, 4, and we're done. Proverbs 15, 4. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness therein is a breach in the spirit. Let's read that out loud. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness therein is a breach in the spirit. You know, if you don't... Uh, Understand that death and life are in the power of the tongue, and you begin to talk all kinds of trash. Um, before you know it, there becomes a breach of perverseness in your spirit, and you don't understand why things aren't working out. You might have believed the wrong thing. You might have said the wrong thing. Well, just stop right then. Correct yourself. I, I've done this so many times. You do it on a daily basis. I mean, you know... Uh, if you think something or say something, and you'd be well to listen to what you're thinking before you say it. Amen. But if you say something or think something, uh, and then you wish you hadn't have said it, you just have to repent right there. God forgive me. That was that was not the word. It was not spiritual. It was not out of my spirit. It was out of my head, emotions, uh, feelings, whatever. And you get you get into pride. You get into selfishness. And if you're not careful, you, you follow that. Before you know it, you become a cynic. You become cynical. Uh, Buddy Harrison used to say that he'd tell the story about the man. <clears throat> he said everywhere he went, everybody was wrong. Everything was wrong. Everybody smelled bad, spoke bad, looked bad until he realized it wasn't the other people at all. It was him. He was the one that had the problem. Woo-hoo. Y'all still here? Amen. Let me pray over you. Father, I thank, thank you. you for your word that takes root in hearts that are willing to hear and receive. And I thank you for your anointing tonight. The anointing destroys the yoke, removes the burdens. I thank you, Father, that... We understand now death and life are in the power of the tongue. And we speak life. And we'll live life. And we'll live abundant life. Say this out, with, uh, out loud with me. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit you're my teacher, you're my, teacher my, counselor, my counselor, and I receive you, and I receive you as, my teacher, as my teacher and counselor. And my counselor. 
And I thank you for correcting me. And teaching me. And helping me. Amen. Let's everybody stand. I, I don't know that I've ever told you or this group. I think I told the minister's conference back in 2020. Um, November of 2020, I think it was. I was going down to my garden at the bottom of a hill. And I live high up on a hill. And it's rocky. Of course, we live in Little Rock, so it's rocky. And I was going down to my garden. And the shale began to slide and slip. And I, I knew... Watch to watch out for it, and and it, it and I became unstable, and and uh, I felt like that I was going to fall, and it's a thirty foot drop off down to my garden, and I heard these words, "Sit down." I didn't want to sit down, cause I didn't want to rip my britches. Because I knew that if I sat down and slid down that hill, it would rip my britches. So as I started descending, I thought, you know, I believe I can outrun this descent. So I started running. Now I'm running downhill, full force. Wham! I hit that fence that I had put around my garden. It's one by, one by sixes. At one befores. And when I hit it, I hit it with my arm, my head, and my right side here. And I heard something crack, and I thought, oh no, I've broken my fence. And what I broke was my ribs. I climbed back up the hill and in a concussion. Like the doctor told me, he said, You rung your bell. And uh, I climbed back up the hill. <laughs> And Jeannie and her sister were sitting on the porch, and I said, would y'all mind driving me to the emergency room? <laughs> and uh, long story short, <clears throat> uh, after all the x-rays and everything, and the, I had a, a slight concussion and three broken ribs. And I asked the Lord, I said, okay, Lord, and it, and it took uh, six weeks for those ribs to heal. And I had to sleep in my recliner because I couldn't lay down straight. But fully recovered, of course. And I asked the Lord, I said, okay, I want to know why that happened. Why did I fall down that hill and injure myself? I say every day, Psalm 91, you have given your angels charge over me to keep me in all my ways, lest I dash my foot against a stone. I said, I want to know where my angels were. He said, who do you think told you to sit down? Oh, man. <laughs> and, of course, I went and got another scripture. Pride goeth before a fall, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and the Lord said, yeah, you thought you knew better than me. You thought you could run down the hill when your angel told you, sit down. And you didn't do it. So, I'd been confessing the word, but I didn't obey the spirit, the angels. Let that be a lesson to you. And you won't break ribs or have a concussion. Did y'all get anything out of this tonight? Thank y'all so much for letting me come. and.